0: Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Amy, and together with my husband, Johnny, we lead the church here in Nottingham, England. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. And if we can help you in any way at all, feel free to get in touch and email us at info at Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Uh, we're going to speak on forgiveness today. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, this This has the power uh, today, I think, just to unlock things in us. And I've been praying particularly that God would do that. But uh, I am also aware, and this is just, a, I think, an important thing to say, that what I say today and what we're addressing, for some, is going to expose and unlock things that are deeply painful. And uh, I know that for many of us in a room like this... um, Maybe like me, the things that you are being called to forgive might feel and seem relatively trivial. Nonetheless, they're still difficult, but there will be people here today uh, who, who are and have experienced deep deep pain and deep trauma, and it's impossible for, for me, it's impossible for anyone but God really to be able to weigh and understand that. Um, but I just want to name that as we get going, because, because this may be heavy. And in fact, it won't particularly surprise you that we're going to begin uh, a little bit heavy. And we're actually going to, just in a second, watch a video. And the video is a, a, a picture of forgiveness. And it's something I came across in the last year. And it's a brother, uh, a brother called Brant Jean, speaking about the death or to the, the killer of his brother, Botham Jean, who was killed. Uh, As uh, a woman came into what was his apartment, she claimed she thought it was her own apartment and thought that he was in there uh, and uh, shot him dead. And this is both, this is Brant, sorry, Botham's brother giving witness testimony or witness account at the end of the trial. Clearly, that is an extraordinary moment and uh, a moment of forgiveness, a moment of. Uh, Brandt Jean offering to uh, this lady, uh, this, the perpetrator of this, um, just this powerful gift of forgiveness. It moves us deeply, of course it does, but why does it move us deeply? I think one of the reasons that it moves us so deeply is because we, we so desperately want to believe that transformation is possible. And a moment like that shows us that what happens, the things that happen to us or to those that we love, the things that that deeply uh, affect us don't have to be the story under which we live our lives. That healing even is possible. That if you like forgiveness uh, positioned in the way that Brant Jean uh, showed it is the ultimate transformational strategy and what all of us are pursuing and longing for in our lives. Is transformation. It's, uh, it wasn't the plan to speak about forgiveness on Remembrance Sunday, but as we think about what it is that we as the world need to break into the cycle of violence that we seem endlessly trapped in, is it not forgiveness? Is it not for somebody to step into that cycle and to break it? And the only way to do that is through forgiveness. Forgiveness. We've been in a series uh, where we've been looking at these postures, these postures that position us, we've said that position us to carry the presence of God with us wherever we go. The idea being that we want to be people who are soaked. All the time in the presence of God. Not just people who experience him one day a week for two hours and then sort of go and live in exactly the same way. But people who are captured and filled with God's presence and pour God's presence out just wherever we go. And we've been saying that the the key, therefore, to getting there is not just adopting a simple set of practices, though that can be helpful. But firstly saying, look, how do I need to be postured? What kind of things do I need to be regularly living in in order to be? One such person. And we've said that hope and expectancy and seeking God and generosity are key postures. But actually today we find one of the very core tenets of Christian living, the core postures that we're to take up, is a posture of forgiving. And actually, uh, as Jesus engages with his disciples, we see this teaching given by Jesus directly. And, And the reading that we had before us earlier is a moment where Jesus is interacting with his disciples and telling them, look, if you're going to be part of my tribe, if you want to be part of my kingdom life then forgiveness is going to have to become something that you regularly engage in. And and the context here in Matthew 18 is interesting because Jesus is telling his disciples how they're to do community life. And he's just said to them, look, if you've got a problem with someone, the best thing you can possibly do is go to their face. Don't triangulate. Don't put it on social media and hope they might see it. Go to them directly, and if that doesn't work, go to them with somebody else, and if that doesn't work, well, bring the church into it. Bring somebody else uh, beyond that into it. It's all about how community works, and then it naturally flows into this conversation about forgiveness, because without forgiveness, there can be no community. So many communities have been broken by unforgiveness. And I, That community could be a family. It could be the community of a, a marriage or uh, another relationship, a friendship perhaps. Or sometimes we see it in wider communities, whole nations indeed broken by unforgiveness. And so it's natural for Jesus to teach the disciples about forgiveness. But what I love about it is Peter. I love Peter because I can relate to Peter. Maybe you can really relate to Peter as well. Peter comes to Jesus and he, you can tell him sort of Straightening his collar in the way that he likes to when he's got something impressive to say. And he says, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Get this, Jesus, up to seven times. Thinking he'd been particularly generous in his offer. You can tell he's like, oh, seven times the Hebrew number of completion. He's going to be impressed with that. How magnanimous I am, Peter said. You can tell. I think even the night before, wasn't Peter practising his speech in the mirror? Or in the Sea of Galilee? I don't know if they had mirrors back then. Uh, the sea looking over the sea saying, oh, I've got this one. Jesus is going to love this one. I think I'll say up to seven times. Jesus says, "Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. I tell you. Not seven times, but 77 times, or some translations say seven times, 70, which if you'll forgive me, I believe is 490. Can I get an amen from somebody who can count? What Jesus is saying is, Peter, no, you're still misunderstanding the forgiveness thing. This forgiveness thing, it's got to be, it's inexhaustible. There's no limit for the people of God when it comes to forgiveness. And he goes on to teach why exactly that is. And this is what Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like. Now Jesus begins his stories, his parables in this way, very typically, particularly in Matthew's gospel. But there's an incredibly important thing to notice here. What Jesus is saying is that you as the community of faith... You guys, you disciples, Peter and your friends, the ones I've called, you need to define your reality according to how it is in the kingdom of God. She's so saying to the church, don't live, don't look at the world and base, base your ethic, base your lifestyle over what you see other people doing, plus 10% for Jesus. Let's do, let's do whatever people are doing with a bit of Jesus, a bit of, a bit of zest, a bit of Jesus, like... Lime in the corona. Why is that coming to my mind this morning? (laughs) That's what happens when you preach after having taken communion. (laughs) It's not just a little bit of Jesus zest. He's saying, no, if you want to live a, a disciple life, if you want to be postured according to my kingdom, you've got to understand that you've got to base your whole life on the kingdom. Your life has got to follow the logic of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, we could look at the world and say, oh, we're going to do it a little bit better. You know, the, what is the world like? Well, clearly, there are many wonderful things happening in the world right now, all over the place. The world is shot through with the presence and the glory of God. Yes. And yet there is, I think you, you may agree, in our culture, often what we see is reality defined around who has power and who doesn't. We're obsessed with power and we like to divide the world into the oppressor and the oppressed. The oppressor and the victim. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't go about life like that. Don't break reality down like that. There is a better way to live, and it's the way to live according to my kingdom, not according to whose power full and whose power less, but who's willing to forgive. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Whenever you see in the New Testament, certainly, and in the Old Testament also, the, the sort of uh, a king or a, a landowner and servant, what you have is, is something to do with God and his people. Here's a picture here of Jesus giving this parable, this story of a landowner, in this case a king actually, He wants to settle account with his servant. So, what's happening here is Jesus saying, Look, this is a story. This is the story of my people and me and God the Father. And the desire that the Father has is to settle accounts with somebody, with his people who have gone into great debt. The whole parable works around this idea that the settlement is required because the people of God have entered into, have got themselves into trouble. They are heavily indebted. They're broke. They owe much more than they'll ever be able to pay back. And because they've engaged, because they've got lost in this heavy debt, because they weren't able to follow in God's footsteps, because they're indebted, the king says, look, what I want to do is I want to settle accounts. I want to make this right. There's no possible way that the people can pay the debt. And so the only way that there's going to be a restoration of relationship is because of the generosity, the scandalous generosity on behalf of the king. That's the only way that a right relationship can be restored. is If the king says, I want to settle the debt, I want to settle the account. And of course, what happens here is that the... uh, The servant's not able to pay. The master orders that he and his wife and his children and all that need to be sold, all need to be sold to repay the debt. And out of this, the servant falls on his knees before the master, says, Be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's not possible. But in this moment of just utter desperation, the servant falls on his knees and begs. It's desperation, it's the last chance saloon. And in the midst of all of this, something so surprising happens. The king says, cancel his debt. Let him go. The king does something that is so outlandish. He cancels a debt that is so huge. Why? Look at this with me. The servant's master took pity on him. Cancel the debt and let him go. Took pity. Remember last week, if you were here, we were talking about hope, and our hope is based in the hesed, the loving, faithful love, the uh, covenant faithfulness, the loving mercy of God. We have a picture here of the hesed, the loving mercy of God. The word here used for take pity is this word. Pronounce that one over breakfast. I defy you. Splack, splag, kizamai. That's my best go. I. that's better. Now, uh, for those of you who have been trained medically, and here I am on very, very dicey territory, so please be gracious unto me. I believe that the splanknic nerve, can I get an amen from a doctor, is the one that innervates the stomach. The splankner, in Greek language speaks of the Guts, I would say, if it weren't so early. The bowels—it's the guts. It's the area where, for the people uh, in this time, it was believed that emotion resided, the, the seat of emotion. God, if you like, is stirred in his guts by the repentance of the servant. Ah, oh, it's like the the, the king says, "Ah, oh, I cannot not be moved by this show." of sorrow take pity yes i take pity and the word for forgiveness actually it says he let him go the word is afiemi there are two words in the new testament typically that are used to refer to forgiveness this is one of them afiemi it literally means to let go to release to loose let him go forgive him let him go this is surprising This is the gospel, isn't it? Isn't this the gospel? That we all showed up broke. We weren't just broke. It's not just that we had nothing in our pockets to to offer him. We owed him. We owed him big. We were desperately bankrupt. And all that was required that he would just declare us bankrupt... And yet because of his loving mercy, we were drawn to him. We thought when we came to him, there may be a possibility that if we came to him, that he'd give us more than just a bankruptcy notice. That actually he'd welcome us. And we got to our knees and we said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy. Oh, and he took pity. He took pity and he poured out his love upon us, his gracious love. And he said, you're free to go. You're free to go. And we said, I don't want to go. I want to stay and worship you forever. I want my whole life to be a a gift to you because you've forgiven me so much. There's nothing I could give you other than my whole life. Have it all. This is the gospel. This is the story of faith. There's no other story like it that you and I bankrupt We're not just let go. He puts a ring on our finger. He puts a a robe around us and He gives us a commission. He gives us a future. He gives us a hope. He gives us a family. He gives us the assurance of eternity with Him. He gives us the gift of His Holy Spirit. He gives us the church. He gives us the promise of eternal life. Could He have done any more? Could He have been more gracious? And so, of course, the story ends there, uh, and, it's, and, it, and it breaks up in here into this beautiful fairy tale, and actually you can see it between the lines of the gospel, it says, happily ever after. But it doesn't, does it? It does exactly the reverse. His fellow servant, our friend, our friend, uh, goes out, finds one of his fellow servants who is in a similar position with a debt that is much less uh, scandalous owed him 100 quid. And he grabs him, begins to choke him and says, pay back what you owed me. And what we see is the same story reenacted. His fellow servant falls to his knees and begs him the same exact response. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. This debt is much smaller. There is a possibility here, perhaps, of a repayment. But the one to whom mercy has been given is unwilling to show Mercy. The story gets back to the master, and the master, the king, is not pleased. Let's look at this. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? What's the difference in the first half of the story and the second half? Here's the difference, one difference. In the second half of the story, there's no pity. There's no pity. There's no mercy. The whole story of Christian faith rests upon the idea that you and I have been given extraordinary mercy by God. And all we can do, all we can do is to say, oh, have some mercy. Have mercy. Take it. Take some more. I've been given this love. I just want to give you some love. I just want to pour it out to you because God's been so merciful to me. How could I possibly judge you? When I know the situation I was in when I rocked up here. Just take take some love. Take some acceptance. Take some belonging. Take it. He's given it to me. Have some. This is the posture the church is intended to live in. How have we got a reputation for being judgmental and self-righteous? how, when he's been this good with us? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The concept here, the logic of forgiveness in the kingdom is that we understand how much we've been forgiven, how much afeimi, afiemi, sorry, has been going on, how much of that's been happening. And because we've been let go, we're willing to let others go too. Forgiveness, therefore, sits alongside forbearance. Forget forbearance is forgiveness in advance. It's where we pass over, we let go of things that people do, even before they've done them. Both forgiveness and forbearance are postures we're to live in. But it's not easy, is it? It is not easy. And we would be lying if we said it were. And when we see how much forgiveness costs God, maybe we understand that. For us, it's so difficult to forgive, even though we know it's the right answer. None of you came here this morning probably thinking, I think he's going to teach on unforgiveness today. I think, he's going to say, I think he's going to say how unforgiveness is the way we should live. None of us were thinking that. But in practice, it's so difficult to live a life of constant forgiveness, of infinite forgiveness. Why is it difficult? First, it's difficult because when we're wronged, we get angry. Now the Bible's clear, anger itself is not wrong. In one of the Psalms, I can't remember which one, says, in your anger do not sin. The, the idea being that anger is actually an appropriate response at times. Uh, the, and the way this works is, is if, you, if you step on my toe, I, I get a release of cortisol in that moment. And that's designed just to uh, push you away, because I need you off my toe. I've only got 10, and I need those, thank you very much. Or if I hit my own hand, driving a nail in, and I hit my own hand with the hammer. Ah! I might scream out a cortisol release in my body, causing me to drop the hammer and speak blessings over my household. <laughs> now, what cortisol does, it is the primary stress hormone. It causes sugars to be released into the bloodstream, enhances... Uh, Glucose, brain the brain uh, to absorb glucose, I think that's right. uh, I can't actually see my notes here because I wrote them in a really light green pen. (laughs) Where are my reading glasses? It prepares us effectively, it prepares us to do fight or flight. That's essentially what cortisol does. And in the short term, it's a really helpful thing. But in the long term, it becomes really damaging and corrosive to our system. It wears down brain function. I read this week that if you have a sustained release of cortisol, not only does it wear down your brain function, it can actually shrink your prefrontal cortex. I don't know where that is either, but it's in my brain, and I want it as big as possible (laughs) so I can remember stuff, and so I can learn. It damages heart tissue. It can lead to weight gain. It can lead to lowered immunity. It can lead to headaches. It's bad for us. It's not something we're supposed to live in and live with. But if I say to you now, bring to mind a moment where you were wronged, and if you can think of something, can you can you feel? Can you feel the cortisol? I can. I can feel it flowing, beginning to surge. It's bad for us to hold on to unforgiveness. (laughs) Rick Warren said this, unforgiveness is letting someone live rent-free inside your head. What we need is afiemi. We need to forgive, to let go, to release wrongs when they're done to us. So it's the right answer biblically. It's it's going to be good for us because I don't want cortisol shooting around my system. There will be some at 4 p.m. today, I'm sure, when Liverpool... Play Manchester City. But I don't want to live there. That's not a good place for us to be. Now, before I get into how we forgive, which I want to give a simple model of forgiveness today, I need to make a few caveats. And the first of those is this: forgiveness does not mean you can't seek justice. Forgiveness is, it is not opposed to justice. It, it just so happened in the example, the powerful example we saw that of a branch. Gene, he, he did say, I don't want you to, to go to jail. Well, that's, that's for him to say, but actually forgiveness does not mean justice is not served. Secondly, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness does tend toward reconciliation. You remember after apartheid in South Africa, the thing that healed, at least at that time, the nation was the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. They recognise that forgiveness led toward, led many people, not everybody, toward reconciliation. But forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. It may be that you are called today to forgive someone, and actually the next appropriate step is not reconciliation yet. Maybe to reconcile would put you in further uh, positions where you might be damaged, and that would not, therefore, be the right thing for you. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. Forgiveness, rather, is where we release Our intention, our right to judgment and to punishment. Forgiveness isn't the same as condoning what somebody's done. You can forgive somebody and still recognize it as having been wrong. In fact, for forgiveness to function, there has first to have been a wrong. There must first have been a wrong. And you won't be able to forgive somebody until you assess and are are able to say wrong was done. And finally, forgiving is not the same as forgetting. And I, all of this stuff, I, I will name check Roger Bretherton, who spoke a little while ago, who's just given me so much of this. Uh, and he said, You know, Johnny, forgiveness, you shouldn't forgive and forget. You need to forgive and remember. Forgive and remember. Don't hold on to the bitterness and the, the other stuff. But if you forget, you potentially put yourself in positions where you're not going to grow in wisdom. Forgive and remember. The reason we need to forgive is because forgiveness opens for us a space for healing. Where there's forgiveness, there can be healing. Where there's forgiveness, there can be transformation for us. For us. There's a man called Everett Worthington a psychology professor. And he'd written extensively and lectured internationally extensively on forgiveness. He was, he was an expert. And then in, on New Year's Day, in 1996, his 76-year-old mother was brutally murdered. And what police think was a, a burglary, a robbery that went wrong. Tragically, his older brother uh, found his mother... And uh, he never recovered. In fact, five years later, his older brother uh, committed suicide. Worthington says, I was so angry, the person that did this. I pointed a baseball bat against the wall and I said, I wish that whoever did that were here. And uh, you can read the rest. This is just such a heart-rending story. By the grace of God, by his own courage, it takes great courage to forgive. Worthington came to a point of forgiveness. What got him there actually was being reminded of what his mum used to say. She used to say, every virtue, no virtue must remain untested. She could almost hear him saying, "Uh, Ev, you've been teaching on this. It's time to test whether it's true. This is what Worthington said when he forgave. As he was forgiving, I should say. Chains fell off. A weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt free. From research, I can tell you it helps with physical health, mental health, relationships, and spiritual health. But how do we do it? How do we forgive? Whether there's something huge, a moment like this, or the moment that we saw at the beginning of the message, whether it's a massive moment of forgiveness, or whether it's actually something relatively small, whether it's small or large, we will experience what's called the justice gap. And we will need to find a way to bridge that gap. We will need to learn to forgive. How do we do it? Well, Worthington came up with a simple model. And it's called the REACH model of forgiveness. It begins with R. Forgiveness begins as we recall the hurt. There will be no forgiveness if we live in denial. If we're so busy excusing the person, the perpetrator, the one who wronged us, whether in a large uh, way or whether in a very small way, if we trivialize it, if we reduce it to nothing, there can be no process of forgiveness. We first need to recognize damage has been done. A wrong was done. We recall the hurt. Now, for some of us, that's going to be very, very difficult. We're going to need significant support from friends, maybe even from uh, professional support in the midst of doing that, because some of the stuff we're going to be recalling is going to be very, very traumatic for us. But for many of us, we can do that relatively simply. In fact, we might do this every day as part of our examine. At the end of the day, is there anyone I need to forgive? Are there any hurts I need to recall this evening? We recall the hurts. Secondly, we empathize with the offender. This is where it gets difficult. Yeah, I was speaking to Roger, uh, this, Roger Brotherton, the psychologist, this week. He said, Johnny, sometimes what I say to people is, you might want to imagine, to humanize the person who's grieved you, you might want to imagine them doing something else. Imagine them making a cup of tea. Imagine them doing something other than what they were doing when they wronged you. Replay that story with them doing something else. Humanize them, understand them, that they are bigger than the wrong that they did to you. Jesus does this extraordinarily powerfully. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. This is a a moment of empathy as he's on the cross. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. They can't see the full picture. I can see that, Father, and I pray that you'd forgive them. So we empathize. We offer Empathy. Worthington says that if we haven't done the first two stages, we cannot move on to the next stages. The first two are absolutely foundational for us to forgive people. But once we have worked through, this is not a once and for all thing. Once we have worked through forgiveness, we can uh, rather uh, recalling the hurt and empathizing, we can move on. To A, which is the make the altruistic gift of forgiveness. Now, I've mentioned this word, afiemi. But there's another word used in the New Testament for forgiveness. It's charizomai. Charizomai. And at the heart of this word is this first half of it. Look at the first half with me. Charis. We have a couple of charises in the church. We've got plenty of charis in the room. Charis means grace or gift. And what's being said in in the selection of this word is that to give forgiveness is to offer a gift. Forgiveness is God's gift to us, as we've seen, but it is also our gift to one another. And forgiveness begins as we offer a gift. And really, when we forgive, we're giving a gift to somebody else. We're also giving a gift to ourselves. We give the gift, the altruistic gift of forgiveness. Fourthly, we commit to forgiveness. Many of us think of forgiveness primarily perhaps as an emotional thing, when actually it has an emotional component perhaps, but it's also an act of the will. To forgive, we actually need to make a choice and commit to that choice. Now, sometimes the emotion precedes it, and sometimes the emotion follows it. But if we wait until we're feeling ready emotionally to forgive, we may never arrive there. We can make a commitment to forgiveness. And then finally, we hold on to forgiveness. And this is a decision not to hold on to hurt, perhaps as we have been doing, but to hold on to forgiveness. This is the logic of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom works. In the kingdom of heaven, it's like a king. Who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And his servant was so in debt. But the king took pity. And because the king took pity. The servant went ahead. And when he found a friend of his. Who also had a debt. He was willing to give the gift of forgiveness. This is how the kingdom works. I close with this. A question to you. To us today. 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 Do you have a gift to give? Is there a caris? Is this a, a moment for you to give a gift to somebody who you know? Or somebody who you don't know who has wronged you? Is the Holy Spirit asking to begin a conversation with you about forgiveness? Maybe today's not the moment to go from R to H. In one morning... Maybe the moment today is to say to the Father, Father, are you going to give me the grace for this? I'm willing to begin to look at this if you'll go with me. Because for us to carry the presence of God with us wherever we go, I believe that we have to ask and invite the Holy Spirit to come into every part of our hearts and to have free reign. Not to block off any part of our bodies, bodies, our lives, our spirits, even our memories from him, but to enable him to come and heal because healing and transformation are possible for God's people as they forgive. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and wanna connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.